I'd like to, this morning, proclaim a message that has been proclaimed since the beginning, since sin. When God spoke to Cain, and you see the message repeated throughout, it was the primary message of John the Baptist. It was the message of Jesus Christ. It was the message of His disciples. And it is a very simple message. It is the message of repentance. This word, though in different languages, has crossed the lips of God's men throughout the ages. Repentance is at the core of the gospel in turning to a God who will forgive. To do this, I'd like to take your attention to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, we're going to look at verses 11 through 32. This is the story of what was commonly called the prodigal son. It should be the story of the prodigal sons, plural. And learn about repentance, what it looks like, what it doesn't look like. Again, this is the fourth message in Seeking Him study. We'll be getting the fourth week as we make this the theme of what we study about in our own personal uh, devotions as well as in our small groups next week. Today we'll be talking about honesty. It is a follow-up to humility and honesty. In fact, if you do not have honesty, if you do not have humility, repentance is a dream, a pipe dream. It is nothing more. You have to have humility and honesty to get to repentance. And that's why it's so important to have humility and honesty. Because you can never come to Christ. And as those who come to Christ, you must grow in Christ. It still involves repentance. I've shared with you that godliness is not the lack of sin as much as it is for humans, the abundance of repentance. The more godly a person is, the more repentant they are. And you see it throughout their life. You come to church today and it's okay for you not to be okay. Okay, do you understand that? It's okay for you not to be okay, but it's not okay for you to remain that way. Do you understand that? Repentance is the core of what we're about. Tiger Woods continuing to get press. I was noticing in yesterday's paper a uh, political cartoon in which they have now uh, provided for all future offenders a celebrity mea culpa form. And so all you have to do is write your name in the blank and circle which pertains to you. In this case, I, Tiger Woods, a famous, and you choose, politician, actor, CEO, or athlete. Publicly, and you choose, confess, apologize, allude to mistakes that were made, or barely acknowledge the problem. Two, adultery, B, financial misdeeds, C, drug use, or D, other. These mistakes were either wrong, easily preventable, or laughable. And this has caused my family, our investors, our advertiser, our friends, a great deal of hardship, pain, our financial loss, our unwanted appearances on Larry King. I hope my, and you choose your fans, or your bankers, or constituents, will respect my uh, A, privacy, or B, need for some sort of media event to pull it all behind me, so that I may continue to A, keep this cool office, or B, play some game, or C, rake it in. Sincerely, and you sign it below. Today is these public apologies that we determine whether someone is sincere or not. 
when it comes down to it as you read the Bible, sincerity is not just so much so in the words that you use, though they are important, but it is determined more or less in the repentance that follows. The repentance that follows. And so, with this thought in mind, let's read together Luke 15, starting with verse 11 through 32. Let's stand as we read this together in honor of this being the Word of God. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that's coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he rose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to them, Your brother has come, your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I've served you, I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours comes, who's devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead. And is alive. He was lost and is found. You may be seated. To understand this parable, it's important to have the whole chapter in view. If you notice at the beginning of this chapter, verses 1 and 2, that there was an incident that produced three parables. The incident was the fact that Jesus had all these tax collectors and sinners, the, the, the dirty of the, of the public, around Christ and and, they were, and Jesus was receiving him. He was walking with them. And they were drawing near. And in the background, so you got the Pharisees, the scribes, the religiously good folks grumbling. And says, this man, he receives sinners. He welcomes them. He eats with them. And so it produces these parables from Jesus. One is the uh, lost sheep having 99 found. And the shepherd goes and find the one. And then you find... The widow or the woman 
who having ten silver coins loses one of them and searches the house over until he find that one. And in both scenarios, there's a great party after uh, finding this one. And with that is this third parable that climaxes it and is really about the celebration that ought to be when lost people are found by God. When people repent, it produces a celebration in heaven. And so those who love God ought to have the heart of God and celebrate when sinners are received by Christ. And so if you understand that, then you understand that the real point of the story of the prodigal son is not necessarily what we commonly think of the prodigal son, but the real point is found in the other brother, the older brother. That is the one that hits home to the audience that Jesus is speaking to, where conviction is hitting. But nonetheless, in the story of the prodigal son, it is a story of repentance. And as I said before, it is the story of prodigal sons. Both are prodigals. We first find ourselves in, in the situation of a wealthy man with this, with this younger son. And in verse 12, it would have been shocking to the audience of that day. Because this request, Father, give me the property, give me my inheritance, is something that is only supposed to happen when the father dies. And so what the son is saying in effect to the father is, I don't care if you live or die, the only value you have to me is that you can give me property. Let's go ahead and just forgo your living and dying thing. And let's just, let's go ahead and get the inheritance that is due me. Now, the listener of that day said, okay, well, Jesus is now going to talk about how the, the father had got a crowd together to stone his son. Because that would be what was due. But nonetheless, what's shocking to the listener is, is what the story says uh, here is that, well, the father did it. He divided his property between them. You know what that meant? Well, if you grew up at a farm, if you have farm in your background, you have a better idea of what this may have meant. Uh, my, my grandfather was a farmer in Johnston County, and they had a good bit of acreage. And when he died, it split up between uh, some of the family members. Uh, and so they all have pieces of property in Johnston County. And if one person is to sell that property, they have done a... Uh, almost mortal offense if they've not offered it to a brother or sister. Because you're selling land out of the family. And that, that's just a crime. Even today, for folks that have family property like that. So even much more so here. And so what this man has to do to, to give him money is he has to sell his farms. He sells his property. He sells his home. He, he cashes in his nest egg. And he says, okay... I'm not exactly sure how I'm going to live for the rest of my life, but bam, here's your inheritance. And so the son, verse 13, squanders his property in reckless living. It's implied of immorality there. Verse 14, everything's gone, a severe famine arises, and he begins to be in need. Verse 15, he goes out, tries to find means any way he can, and ends up feeding pigs. The Jews find pigs detestable. They don't deal with pigs. They don't. That's one of the food items that's been prohibited from them that's regarded as unclean. Only the Gentiles deal with pigs. So what does this tell you? That one, this good Jewish boy is now working for a Gentile. He's humbling himself, working for a Gentile. And of all things, dealing with pigs. You couldn't do much worse as far as employment goes. But you see how bad it gets. 
verse 16, it was so bad, he was wanting to eat the food that the pigs were eating. Have you ever seen pigs eat? It's not easy to share food with a pig. Okay? They get violent if you're in there with the slop. You don't want to go there, but he wanted to go there. And notice what he says in verse 17. A realization occurs. We're about to see the beginning of repentance. Let me just share with you a few things that repentance is not before we get there. Repentance is not just getting caught. Do you understand that? That can be a means that God uses to bring repentance, but it's not repentance itself. Repentance is not changing to please others or to get them off your back. Repentance is not flirting on the edge of sin. One of the problems that our teenagers deal with, but it's not just teenagers, is they ask themselves, how far can I go and still not sin? You cannot reconcile that goal, that mindset, that attitude with seeking God. That's the problem. Repentance is not just making cosmetic changes so that you look like you're being obedient. The problem is that many believers today, so-called believers, they want a Savior that will save them from the penalty of sin. But they do not want someone to save them from sin. Do you understand the difference? They don't want to go to hell, but they don't want to forsake these things that God says will destroy you. God, no, save me from hell, but let me live my life and do what I want to do. Patrick Morley writes that the church integrity problem is in the misconception that we can add Christ to our lives, but not subtract sin. It is a change in belief and without a change in behavior. We want a cross, but we want no repentance. It is revival without reformation, without repentance. So, let me share with you that repentance is accompanied by a change of thinking. This is verse 17. But when he came to himself, what does that tell you about what he was doing previously? When he was living apart from his father, he was insane. He was out of his mind. He was missing out on true reality. When he says, well, you know, it's enjoyable. It's, it's, this is real freedom. I get to do whatever I want. That type of mentality is insane. Freedom is not freedom to do whatever you want. That is just another phase of insanity. And so he comes to himself and he starts changing how he's thinking. You notice he says, you know what? My father's servants have it better than me. They've got more than enough bread. Why should I perish here in hunger? He changes his thinking. James 4 verse 8 10 says, Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Now notice, be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord and He will exalt you. There must be a change of thinking about our behavior. 2 Corinthians 7, 8, 9. For even if I, if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for I see that the letter has grieved you, though only for a while. 
as it is, I rejoice not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. There was a change of how they view their behavior. Let me share with you some things that get in the way that shows that you're not repenting, that shows that you do not have a change of behavior. When you're angry, when others confront us about issues in our life, it reflects a selfish mindset, not a humble mindset. When you're unwilling to take necessary steps of repentance, your thought life has not been changed. When you run away from righteousness instead of running toward it, when you're slow to obey, when you know what God wants you to do, and you think, well, I'll wait until maybe next week and things are a little bit better. <laughs> what makes it better? When you see that your sin is not all that bad, it's just a little problem. It's, it's not, I mean, after all, there are other people who are worse. When you constantly justify your behavior by pointing at the worst behavior of others, and when you make shallow temporary commitments to change. Now, let's look at the older brother here for a little bit. Uh, the older brother, um, you, you say, well, you know, this younger brother, he's very callous. He doesn't love the father. He just loves the father's stuff. Can you just hurry up and get out of the way so I can get your stuff? All right, well, let's look at the older brother. What's his deal? All right, he comes back. You know, there's celebrations taking place. The young sons come. And uh, notice what he says in response. So we're looking and, and seeing the, the father or the brother's reaction. Verse 25. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came, he drew near the house. He heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he received him back south, safe and sound. Verse 28. But he was angry and refused to go in. Guess what? There's a separation now between the older brother and the father. Guess what's going on? The older brother now is insulting the father. He is, his father is setting off a great party. And, and it's understood, it's, it's, it's well received throughout the community that when this guy celebrates, we join in with him because he's our friend. He's the one we love. What he loves, we love. Except for the older, older brother, the older son. No, I'm not going to go into that party. He is making a public disgrace of his father. Notice how he addresses his father. He makes no mention of his father, but he just simply barges in on him when, notice, the father goes out to the older brother. Just like the father was looking for the younger brother, the father went out to the older brother. You know what my thing is if, if, if I was in that situation? Oh, my, my older child has a problem with this? That's their problem. Maybe when they get sense enough to see things right, then we'll talk. That's not what the father does. He goes out and seeks the older brother and notice his reaction. Verse 29. Look, these many years I've served you. No father, nothing like that. Look, I, he just says, look, these many years I've served you, but I've never disobeyed your command. You've never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. And you think, well, what's the problem with that, Pastor? I, I can understand their point of view. But here's the thing. The father gets to the heart of it. In reply, he says, you've had me all these years. All that is mine is yours. You see, the older brother didn't really care about being in the father's presence. That was just an employer-employee relationship. 
I work for you, I expect inheritance. And what he missed out that the entire time was that the Father Himself was the inheritance. The relationship itself was the blessing. And the, father, the older brother was no different from the younger son. He just went about it in a different way. This is where us church folks, we get nailed right here. We tend to be like the older brother. I never forget when I was trying to comfort uh, a man who had just lost his son in a car accident. And his son was just a, a few years younger than me, two or three years younger than me. And I was coming alongside of him. And I was trying to pray with him. I was trying to encourage him. And then in anger, he looks up at me and said, what difference did it make all those years of praying and going to church? Because here my son is dead. What difference did it make? I was stunned. I thought, oh my. All these years, this church member has been treating God like a pest dispenser and thought that if he could pray enough, if he was religious enough, he went to church enough, then he was, God was obligated to grant him safety for his family. Wow. He thought God was his servant and that God was obliged to him because he served him and that it was an employer-employee relationship. Do you see where we get it? The scribes and the Pharisees looking down at Jesus, we too are like that when we say, look, I go to church, I do good things, and because I do good things, God ought to do things for me. And what I really want is not God's presence, but what God can bring to me. Friends, when you serve because you want God to bring you good things, God is not your God, He is your servant. And you are not worshiping God, you're worshiping yourself and those things that you want God to serve you for. The older brother also was a prodigal. And he had left his father. In fact, he never had come to his father. And wanted to serve so that he might get served by the father. And so the father says, son, you're always with me. All that is mine is yours. Don't you understand? It is this relationship that is to be treasured. Now you treasure these things? Oh, you're no different. You're no different. Repentance. What is repentance? What is it not? You see here the symptoms of what repentance is not. When, you, when you're angry, when others are confronting you, when you're unwilling to take necessary steps to repentance, when you run away from righteousness, when you're slow to obey, when you think, well, this is not all that bad. This is actually good. Now, notice as we keep going back to verse 18. He says... I will arise and go to my father. I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. Understand something, that there is evidence of changed thinking. What's the, what's the evidence of changed thinking and repentance? One is that it, you have a changed estimate of your behavior. Notice what he says here. This is not just, you know, I just want to do what I want. I just want to be happy for a little while. Now he understands that what he has done is that he sinned against his father, but he sinned against heaven. He sinned against God himself. He says, you know, this isn't just a, uh, you know, sowing my wild oats for a little while. This isn't just letting my hair down. This is sinning against heaven. This isn't just a personality quirk. You know, I've got this, you know, it's a character trait for our family to be stubborn. 
This is sin. And is sinning against heaven. And his estimate of his behavior is beginning to change. Why? Because there's humility in his life. And there's honesty in his life. Notice also, his view of the consequences are changing too. He says, he says in verse 19, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. In other words, let me take the consequences that come my way. I understand it. I understand that my sin deserves certain consequences and let it come. I no longer seek to avoid these things because I care more now about my father than these consequences. Let me just share with you a great verse here. Micah chapter 7, verse 8 and 9. Sometimes when sin comes in our life, and it's maybe the same sin that we deal with over and over again, it, there's a tendency to say, you know what, I'm just never going to get over this. And we put ourselves in a pit. I want you to quote this verse to the devil. Rejoice not over me, O my enemy, when I fall. I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I've sinned against Him. In other words, it is right for me to deal with consequences that come with my behavior and this is because of humility. I understand that. I see that. And God will do this until He pleads my cause and executes judgments for me. He will bring me out to the light and I shall look upon His vindication that though there may be times of sin in my life, Satan, I do not have to continue and wallow in this direction. God Give me your judgment and let me rise again with you. Now, repentance is accompanied by a change of thinking, but it's also accompanied by turning. Notice what happens. He rose and came to his father. He rose and came to his father. I, I get the idea that he thought, you know, once I've got this plan, let me just, let me just finish out the week of feeding the pigs. Let me just finish out the week of uh, maybe fighting with the pigs for some food just so I can survive. Let me finish my term when it's more convenient. When you're saying to yourselves, I, it's just not convenient to repent, it's only because you've not been humbled enough to see your sin. It is an immediate thing, repentance. Puritan writer Edmund Kalami said that he that resolves to be virtuous but not until sometime hereafter, resolves against being virtuous in the meantime. And as a virtue at such a distance is easily resolved on, so it is as easy a matter always to keep it at that distance. The next week, says the sinner, I will begin to be sober and temperate, serious and devout. But the true sense of what he says is this, I am fully bent to spend this present week in riot and excess and sensuality and profaneness or whatever vice I desire to indulge myself in. Do you understand? It is as pig sloth. And so he arose and came to his father. And the good news is the father's reaction. Verse 20. While the father was still way off, you see a middle-aged, wealthy man just chucking it. Running. Sandals flying. Silk robes all disarrayed. You don't see that, do you? You don't see that today. You don't see many middle-aged men in their fine apparel just running down the sidewalk, you know? Their shoes flying. It wasn't about the father's dignity. His dignity was found in a son repentance. And so he embraces him and he kisses him. 
The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. You, you remember he had that speech laid out? He didn't finish his speech. Verse 22, the father interrupts him. He says, like, oh, okay. hey, hey, servants, come, come. Put the best on Best robe. The ring. The shoes. Let me, let me just take a wild guess. Where, what closet do you think they went to to find the best robe? Clothes. Shoes. The rings. They went to dear old dad's because that's where the best stuff is stashed. They got out dad's clothes and put it on. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate for this. My son was dead and was alive again. He was lost and is found. A turning of behavior. A change of behavior. Now, here's where it gets a little sad. Because we go back to the older brother. We've seen the prodigal son, his repentance. The older brother. And Jesus doesn't finish the story. You understand there's kind of a cliffhanger here? Here's how the story ends. A big party's going on. Folks eating barbecue inside. Outside, there is an older brother, Stephen, a father coming to him, pleading. And he says to him the reason for the celebration. And that's where the story ends. Does the older brother come in? to the party or does the older brother stay Jesus doesn't give us the answer the answer was dependent on what the Pharisees and scribes would do with the story would they learn to celebrate when lost people come to Christ or would they stay and feel like God was obligated to them how would you end the story you end the story how you respond to repentance. Will you stay in self-righteousness and feel like everybody owes you something and God owes you something because after all, you are so good? Or will you understand that you too need a father? Oh, let me just bring out this a little bit. You know what the older brother's job was to do? The older brother's job Traditionally, was to go seek the younger brother and find him and use whatever cost necessary to bring the young son back. The older brother certainly would have seen his father every day looking out the porch, looking for the son. But the older brother did not have the heart of his father. He wanted only his possessions. Do you have the father's heart? I thank you. I thank God that he sent an older brother to come and seek me out. In my self-righteousness, or in my slop, whichever way you want to call it, it ends up the same. And the older brother spared no expense, laying down his own precious blood to bring me back to the Father. Have you had an encounter with the older brother, Jesus? I pray that God will work in your life humility, honesty, and repentance. God grants repentance. It is His work to do in your heart. I pray. Let's pray for that now.